uh, second Sunday in Lent, um, and we are in the midst of a series titled uh, Have Mercy, where we're uh, finding ourselves in these Lenten stories of Jesus, like the one from John 2, where Jesus overturns uh, the tables and uh, gets a little upset and then confuses everybody with uh, the weird temple metaphor. Um, it's a series in which we're trying to recognize our own brokenness, our own fragmentation, and seeking God's uh, mercy as we pursue uh, life with others and um, one another. We uh, will not make this place, uh, we will not make this place of worship a den of thieves. Uh, these were words that were spoken by an elder in the church that I grew up at in Davenport, Iowa. And what was the request, you wonder, that uh, brought about such a stern rebuke? Well, um, there were two teens uh, that approached this elder and asked if um, they could hold a raffle at the monthly church potluck to raise money for a mission trip. To which he responded, we will not make this place of worship a den of thieves. Raffles, it turns out, makes Jesus really angry. Uh, The story of Jesus overturning the tables, furious at the money changers, is also why you couldn't sell Girl Scout cookies in the foyer, apparently, or so I was told. Uh, In addition to the sinfulness of children bringing their school fundraisers uh, to church and soliciting uh, support. And this makes for an interesting image of Jesus. The church foyer is full as folks mill, mill around after Bible class, but before the worship gathering has started. Sally and Susie stand behind a, a plastic folding table. It's full of Thin Mints and Samoas and all the other cookies that Girl Scouts sell that aren't Thin Mints or Samoas. I don't know any others. In another corner, uh, Billy collects money from folks while Jimmy dispenses the raffle tickets to paying customers. You see, the youth group is heading to a small rural town in a few weeks to help out with some disaster relief from a recent flood. And you probably wouldn't notice her walking around the foyer, but little Alice is walking around, bashfully asking people if they want to buy popcorn for her school fundraiser. They're hoping to get a new collection of books in the library. And while you don't care for popcorn necessarily, especially popcorn that costs 20 bucks, you do like little Alice. But just as you're getting your cash out of your pocket, you're distracted by the commotion at the front door of the church foyer. Jesus has showed up for worship. The son of God in the flesh has come to your little church and it's not even Easter yet. And he's shaking hands and he's kissing babies. When something stops him, dead in his tracks. The kind, uh, welcoming demeanor that you would expect of our Lord disappears from his face as he locks eyes with those two little greedy girls, Sally and Susie. (laughs) My family's over here. Uh, Church members are still trying to get Jesus' attention, but he ignores them pushing them to the side, and in one seamless movement, Jesus turns the folding table over as he screams, get out of here, Sally, get out of here, Susie. Stop turning my house into a market. And frightened and understandably traumatized by their Lord, the little girls go running away. Billy and Jimmy watch all of this in disbelief, not expecting the anger of Jesus to turn to them. But sure enough, 
As Jesus throws the last box of thin mints out of the foyer, he turns to the two teens, says, how dare you? He rips the tickets out of Jimmy's hands and begins to rip them to shreds. And church members who'd already purchased the tickets start to subtly and quietly drop their tickets so as not to be implicated in this crime. Jesus takes the bucket of money and he pours it out on a Billy's head, which is probably unnecessary, but most certainly deserved. And then little Alice, who no one expected, was old enough to receive the wrath of God. He is startled when Jesus fashions a whip out of thin air and cracks that fundraising sheet out of her hands. And her mom picks Alice up, who's crying, and ashamedly they make the exit out of the church building, as only guilty people would do. Uh, This is a fictional story, uh, but not too far from the imagination uh, of my 10-year-old self. When I learned that Jesus hates raffles uh, and Girl Scouts and fundraisers for libraries. Uh, But I'll, I'll never forget those words from the elder and the seriousness with which he said them. And if I was courageous enough, Uh, I think I'd want to tell that elder that I'm fairly certain he's not seeing the point of this story from John 2 of Jesus in the temple. In fact, not seeing really seems to be at the heart of the problem in the text itself. The money changers fail to see the inherent dignity and worth of the cattle, the sheep and the doves, And in their failure to see, they commodify and objectify them for their own gain. They also fail to see the inherent dignity and worth of those who don't have the means to bring their own sacrifices to the temple. And in their failure to see, they objectify them. Their worth does not go any further than the profit that they can bring to the money changers. The religious leaders fail to see who Jesus really is, and eventually, in their failure to see Jesus, they commodify and they objectify Jesus' own body as they hang him on a cross to serve their own purposes and their own objectives. Even the disciples fail to see what's going on as John points out that it was only after Jesus was raised from the dead, long after this event happens, that they understood what Jesus meant with this whole temple body reference. They fail to see. On so many levels, what we find here is failure to see. And when we don't see more times than not, we end up commodifying and objectifying others. So I have a question for us uh, that feels a little bit risky, and so I don't I don't know where it'll go. It might go nowhere, and that's okay. Um, and I'm going to give us a few minutes of silence because it's a it's a heavy question. But I'm curious: when have you experienced not being seen and felt like an object, or when have you not seen others and treated them as an object or something to profit from? So I'm going to put this question in the chat and I'm going to give us just a few moments of silence to reflect on it. And then um, I'll call us back and uh, we'll, we'll see where the conversation goes. Oh, ignore that. 
Oh, good, I didn't send it. Great, Marquila. Oh, you you're still muted. I'm still at church. <laughs> <laughs> the den of thieves. Here I am. Um, <laughs> I uh, was going through a situation at one point with a guy that I was engaged to, and things didn't work out. But some things that were said um, were hurtful, and I didn't understand, and they were communicated to. I passed her. And so one day I waited up to church to talk to the pastor's wife and just to clarify some things just so I can understand. And I started to open up and say, Hey, you know, just sharing. And she stopped me and she said, I could care less about you, about y'all, about anything. And I just remember feeling so small, just so small and so insignificant. And I don't know if I've ever felt quite as small in a moment, especially when I was already broken and it's hard for me to communicate when I'm vulnerable and then to be vulnerable and say, okay, I'm going to be a big girl and I'm going to talk about it. And then to be looked at and said, I could care less. That was, that was a, a huge moment for me in brokenness. Wow. Thanks for sharing Markeela. Uh, Kara, and then anyone else who wants to share, go ahead and put your name uh, in the chat. But Kara? Um, I think about when I first started fundraising. And for any of you who've had to fundraise before, you probably can relate to this. Um, when you first start fundraising you're and you're really passionate about what you're fundraising for, um, it's it's hard not to see people as objects of fin- financers and, um, and just looking at everyone through that lens. It took me a while to, it was, it was a journey for me to see fundraising, um, in a really different, less desperate, <laughs> um, terrible thing where, where now, this is after a lot of personal um journeying <laughs> um it's it really is not about the people at all it's about um well i don't know and that's not it it is all about the people it is not about what you can get it is not about it's about a, it, what i've learned is like a spiritual connection and a and a way to connect um Anyway, I won't get into all of that, but at the beginning of all of it, it was really, really difficult for me to have, to even understand, comprehend, um, what fundraising really a beautiful thing that it could be. And, um, even though it was for such a good, 
you know, Jesus thing. Um, it's still, it was still hard for me. Um, and, and still is, I think probably for all of us who fundraise, um, to escape that mentality of looking at people as, as just, um, sources of, of funding. Thanks for your vulnerability and sharing, Kara. Chaz? Kara took my answer. <laughs> uh, I just, I'll amen what she said. I was thinking of, I think just yesterday, I see one friend in my newsfeed on Facebook and, uh, it just gives, it makes my stomach turn over. Um, uh, we went to school together. He did really well in business really quickly. Um, he lives in the area back when I was doing fundraising for church planning. I was like, Ooh, I got to put him on my target list and go after him and, you know, uh, reconnect. And so we did, we connect, we, we had lunch, we hung out. I invited him to a fundraising dinner. They gave money and I never talked to him again. And I just feel horrible about that. Like, like he, he was an object. It was a transaction that I was after. And like, there are good ways and healthy ways, like Kara was saying, to do fundraising for the sake of mission. And there are, there are not good ways. And that was a not good way for me. Thanks for sharing, Charles. Sarah? Um, I think we've talked about this before, but especially in mission or in a church like ours where we're focused on mission, uh, people can either, um, end up feeling like we're objectifying other people or, uh, we can feel objectified. <laughs> uh, and I think it's, um, I don't know. I, for me, it's just super important in mission that we're thinking, uh, about how we can fit into other people's plans and not how they can fit into our plans and programs and our ideas of um, how they should engage spiritually. Like there's just so much damage that comes from people trying to pull people into programs and plans. Thanks, Sarah. I see Julie Charlesing her way up. Go ahead. I love that that's just a baseline term now. I think I've been an employee in several instances where it was like, we don't really want to get to know you personally or like really engage in each other's lives as community or relationship. Like we have hired you to do this and we need you to tick these boxes and make this profit. And like that's, that's the bottom line. And then like, if that's being met, then we can laugh and make small talk over lunch. But if that's not happening, then things are kind of awkward. And um, we just see you as this agent of profiting this company. Yeah. Thanks, Julie. Last call. Anyone else? John Oliver, go ahead, bud. You know, as Julie said, that reminded me a lot of years ago. I was a member of a church. I was considering joining it, and there was a they, I went to Sunday school class and got a new member orientation. They say we're going to do things different here. This is a church that grew from. This man had planted three mega churches. 
three megachurches. Grew from nothing to giant three times. It's the third one. So we're going to do it differently here. We're going to, you're going to take this, this, this <clears throat> set of, uh, of, uh, of basics of the, of Christian faith. And then, you, and then if you want to go on this other, uh, semester of your spiritual gifts, and then we're going to do what nobody else does. We're going to, uh, we're going to match you with two other people. Once we know your spiritual gifts, we're going to match you with two other, uh, men with men, women with women. We're going to find where you best fit in this mega church. You know, no more, uh, square pegs and round holes. None of that. Beautiful idea. I signed up. I did. I went all the way through it. I was ready to get my assignment. Finally, you two people to give me a play in your church. And I, and I told them, I want that. <clears throat> you promised it. They said, yeah, we'll get back to you. And a few weeks later, I said, I want it. Yeah, we'll get back to you. Finally, I was assigned two women. That's okay. That was uncomplicated. And then these two women didn't know anything about the church operation. They were not a part of the promise. And basically, they wanted to fix me. They wanted to get to know me. And and, and, and they became like like very uh, invasive counselors. They knew all my, they asked me all these questions. They knew all my profile and they wanted to straighten me out. I went, that's not what I signed up for. I signed up to use my spiritual gifts to, to plug into this mega church in a marvelous way. I was so pissed off. I was so disappointed. It was horrible. The three things I hate in this world, lies, broken promises, and waste. That was a broken promise. I, oh. And, 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 and that's how he grew his church. It, it, I'm sure that it, they're in the early stages. That's how he grew it. But by this time, it was giant, and they forgot what they promised. Thanks, John. I was uh, struck in the reading of the Old Testament uh, passage in the Ten Commandments uh, that the the sins, the fragmentation, the brokenness that the Ten Commandments are uh, addressing are products of failure to see others, um, whether it's your, your neighbor um, or God, uh, your family, that every single one, stealing, adultery, coveting, is a product of a failure to see. Uh, I've had to, I've been wrestling this week in light of this text with the the ways in which I commodify and objectify Jesus for my own purposes, uh, particularly when it comes to people that I disagree with. Uh, that I will use the stories of Jesus and the life of Jesus um, to make my point. Uh, that it's more important for me to be right um, many times than it is to, to see and to hear the person that I may be having an agree- a disagreement with at the time. And it's also striking to me the ways in which it's not just how we fail to see others, but the ways in which we also fail to see ourselves and commodify and objectify ourselves for other people's purposes. So perhaps we don't see ourselves worthy of love. And so we project some version of ourselves that we think others will find useful. We make ourselves into an object, something that we think will benefit others. And in the process, we damage our own sense of self and identity and relationship. 
A failure to see is at the heart of what we find Jesus responding to. So what's the response? What is the antidote uh, to this failure to see? And it's actually from the text itself, the thing Jesus points out that no one, disciples included, really understood at the time. That is, pursuing a cruciform life. The way that Jesus points to as that which gives him authority, death and resurrection, is also the way that nurtures us in the capacity uh, to see others. But learning how to die to our own need to control learning how to die to our own need to be right, learning um, to die to our own need to collect for ourselves, opens up the possibility for us to see others. So I'm going to give us another few uh, moments of silence. And I want to ask you another question. And that is, what are some ways that you seek to not objectify others or use them as a means to an end? Uh, in what ways do you seek to see others? Uh, this might be practices or postures or habits that you try to commit to. Um, it also might be uh, um, you're aware of triggers or warning signs uh, that you've gotten a little bit off the rails. Um, but let's take a few moments to reflect on that question around what are some ways uh, you seek to not objectify others or use them as a means to an end? What are ways you seek to see others? Just a few moments of silence. If you're willing to share, go ahead and put your name in the chat. Um, let's have a conversation around this question of pursuing to not objectify others. Jen's going to go. Um, so like three years ago ish, um, I lost most of my friends. Um, and, uh, it was, you know, hard and traumatic. And as I, um, as I started, um, getting to know storyline people and, being willing to make friendships, I found it interesting that, um, you know, sometimes, um, it was easier for me to focus on a goal of like having some friends, um, than actually like being present in the moment and, you know, like, no, actually, I want to learn about Val, you know, like, um, you know, like being present and, you know, asking questions and, um, 
and listening to the person in front of me. And so that was just um, really um, tricky because on, in, on one hand, you know, I was feeling a little desperate sometimes. Um, um, but realizing that, um, my needs weren't the only needs that mattered. Like I was in front of these other people, um, and figuring out how to be present and make that relationship, um, mutual and beneficial for us both. So. Thanks, man. Uh, I was, um, Sarah, I know you're next in line. Um, I was, I, uh, as Jen was talking, I was thinking about a, a trigger, a trigger for me, a warning sign is when I, I find myself thinking through what I'm going to say next while the person's talk. So I was in this wrestling match as I was thinking about saying um, how I think about things that I want to say while other people were talking while Jen was talking. And so I was going back and forth like, nope. Start, just be present, listen to Jen. Ooh, but I really want to say this thing, how I want to think about stuff I want to say while someone else is talking. So it was just a little funny little uh, battle right there. <laughs> Sarah? Okay, listening to you, Ben, I forgot what I was going to say. But I remember what I was going to say in general terms. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, just in terms of the mission thing, I think we were talking about this. I was talking about this with Charles in, like, a different situation. And... um for me, the way that, and for Ryan, the way that we don't objectify people in mission is we always try to make sure that we are only talking as much as they are. So if I know, if I, if they know more about me and my plans than I know about them and their plans, then that is a problem. <laughs> if I invite them to my events more than I ever go to theirs when they invite me, then that's a problem. Um, and it's, you know, it for me, it has helped to have just these very concrete goals, these very concrete things. Um, like it's not about numbers and it's not necessarily about how many words you say, but it helps me in my mind to think, okay, am I talking more than them? Am I listening to them? Um, because otherwise I'll forget. So that's great. Thanks, Sarah. Val. Yeah. For me, one thing that I try to do to stop myself from objectifying someone is to maintain a posture of curiosity about them. So um, like if I notice myself wanting to have some level of control over who they are, what they do, what they like, their opinions, then that's definitely a realization for me to realize, oh, I'm more concerned about a specific outcome or how this person is rather instead of being interested in just who they are as a person. And so I try to, and this is really helpful when I have people that I disagree with, um, rather than making them into a caricature or thinking that they're, you know, this one certain way, I try to step back and be more curious to wonder, I wonder why you feel that way or what's your life experience. And, and then also I really just, I, Try to remember that God loves every single person, like every single person, and that that's that's the only reason I should love people is because God loves them. Like there is no agenda, there's no specific thing. 
Right on cue, my dog. <laughs> Thanks, Val. Markeela, did you did you raise your virtual hand and then put it down? I did, and then I feel like sometimes I talk too much, <laughs> so I put it back down. No, 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 but, no. Um, yeah, what I was going to say in the missional work of just being a parent, I um, I find myself being the kind of parent that when I come home, I start barking out orders. <laughs> Did you pick up this? Why is the dish not washed? Why is this not washed? And so, and that's just my, my personality is to sometimes, um, be more focused on my tasks and my agenda and my, um, perpetual, um, to-do list that I, I try to work on walk in and say, hi, how are you? And so for me, I try to carry that into every relationship, but at home more than anything. If I can do it at home where I am most comfortable, where I am most uh, the tiger that I am, <laughs> then I'm more likely to do it out with other people is before I start barking and going down my list, how are you? And really mean it. So that when Jordan starts to go into how her day was, and even though in the back of my head, I want the dishes washed, be present to hear how her day was. When Elsa's shoes are scattered in the middle of my floor, stop and say, how was your day? And really care about her day and not the fact that shoes are in the middle of the floor and I don't understand why. Um, so that's, that's just one of my little practices that I am still working on. That's great, Markeela. Uh, so well said. So the, the season of Lent uh, in the church calendar is a season of uh, repentance. Um, and, and one of the significant ways during Lent uh, that r- repentance is sought after is uh, through abstinence, so through fasting. And people have fasted from multiple things during the season of Lent. And for most of my adult life, I've been pretty religious uh, about pers- pursuing some sort of fasting. So I fasted from technology. I fasted from violence, uh, which was interesting. Uh, I fasted from uh, television, fasted from news. But I found myself the last few years, particularly last year and this year, uh, having really no interest in fasting from anything. Uh, some of it is a response to what I heard recently that this is the lentiest of Lenten seasons ever. And really, we've been in a Lenten season for the last year as we've been forced to abstain um, from close contact with friends. Uh, we have been uh, forced into fasting from large gatherings. Uh, we have been sort of pushed into a season of Lent. But it dawned on me uh, this week that uh, I've really missed out because it's not about going without during the season of Lent. It's about when you fast, it creates space for you to attend to stuff that you normally miss. It creates space for you to see yourself more clearly. It creates space for you to see the world more clearly. It creates space for you to see God. And even though I've been forced into all of these different fasts in this lentiest Lent of all time, uh, I haven't used it. I haven't um, intentionally um, allowed it to be a formative moment. Um, I haven't entered the space. 
uh, in which I'm able to perhaps see folks more clearly uh, in the midst of um, losing some stuff. So wherever you find yourself um, today, this week, in this season, whether you care about uh, Lent or not, uh, whether it's been a part of your rhythm or not, uh, there is something about learning how to see others more clearly. There is something about the space that's created when we go without for the sake of others. And so um, may God open in you uh, new possibilities. Uh, may God open in you uh, ways to see people more clearly. Uh, may God open in all of us uh, an awareness to uh, the ways we objectify or commodify others. Uh, may, and may God be gracious uh, to all of us uh, the moments when we fail and the moments that we do the very thing that we don't want to.